This is Melissa Hale, Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, here today with Wayne Krauss. And our regular readers will recognize the name because our April 25th edition had Mr. Krauss's picture on the top of the front page. And that's, he was talking about the house that he lived in and loves. And today we're going to delve into some of the Krauss family history with him. Welcome. Welcome, Wayne. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. So he was about to unpack some treasures, and I said, wait until Rose has us hooked up. And he just lifted a, a towel, and in it is a stunning portrait. Who is this? We'll turn it over. He's signaling to turn it over. Margaret Smith, Smith. Crowns. Born 18, I can't quite read it, 02, maybe? Eighteen oh two. Eighteen oh two. Passed away in eighteen seventy nine. So it's like holding a piece of history here. It's just she is um a rather stoic looking woman and she has one of those old fashioned, I assume handmade lace caps covering her hair and a hand tatted lace collar. It's just beautiful. It's it's a drawing because I don't believe anybody had photos at that right, time. Right. At it's, least here in Altamont. He's now unpacking his towel further and there's another portrait emerging and I'm guessing this must be her husband because they look like a matched set. Yes, this is George Frederick or Frederick Jr. There were um, there was one Frederick that came here from Germany, and he had two children, Philip and Frederick. There starts the line of the Crowns family. There was the Philip line and the Frederick line. The Frederick line is where I am from, and that is where the homestead on the Altamont Voorsville Road was built in 1799. And I have looked up because of uh, your visit, and on the back of this, he's just handed to me, is in typewriter, which now typewriters are even a little old-fashioned, typewritten in are the descendants with their birth dates and death dates. And I was just going to read a little piece of the family, Crown's family history that was um, unearthed by the late Arthur B. Gregg, who was Gilderland's town historian for decades. And I was a little girl in elementary school, Gilderland Elementary School, when this white-haired old man came into our classroom and started teaching us about Gilderland history. And he wrote for the Enterprise and the type, because type was set in those days in lead, it, the type was saved and the Historical Society, the Gilderland Historical Society, printed the book Old Halliburg. And Mr. Krauts brought in with him a special pamphlet just on the Krauts family. But I'm just going to read the little tiny introduction to this section because it'll kind of set the scene for our conversation. 
It's called the Crounces of Old Helleberg, a tradition that has been repeated for years and which evidently came from the earliest of the Crounces in this country is to the effect that they descended from a Polish nobleman named Krautsky, who had fled from his own country for political reasons and had found a refuge in Württemberg, Germany. The story is repeated in Howell and Tenney's History of Albany County, 1886, and there's no reason to contradict it. What we do know positively is that after the family had been in Germany for several generations, one of their number, Frederick, now known as Krauss, came to America in 1754. From this point, any facts as to genealogy and dates have been supplied by William Brinkman. He has created a chart of 600 names. Fortunately for those who might desire a copy, Mr. Brinkman has provided for its duplication. (laughs) And this, of course, was decades ago, so I don't know what happened to that chart. But here's a story that I've heard and never had seen written. This Frederick, a shoemaker by trade, was born in Germany in 1714. With him in his journey to the New World was his wife, Elizabeth born in 1716, and the seven-year-old son, Frederick Jr. For a short time, they stopped at Rhinebeck on the Hudson, a Palatine settlement, where they probably heard that other Palatine group had gone on to the rich valley of Schoharie. The Crounces decided they, too, would try their fortunes there with their countrymen, While they were making their way along the foot of the Hellerberg, the wife, growing tired of travel by land and sea, gave completely out and said she could go no further. Hence, the fatigue of a mother 182 years ago is the reason the great family of Crounces grew up here in the Hellerberg, and what proved to be Scoharry's loss became Rensselaerwick's gain. So is that a story that you yourself heard as part of your Well, it is the only story uh, that we know of. However, they say it was it, it was a family joke about the about the Polish nobleman and of course many of the Kronzes themselves called themselves Polacks. But if you'll recall, Poland was not uh, a country until after World War One, mm-hmm. so it was more like Prussia and the Austrian-Hungary Empire. Mm-hmm. But what the Palatines were were Lutheran; they were strict Lutheran people, and the Palatines were persecuted by the Catholic Church. So that's why they made their way here to America. Now, of course, everybody knows about Canada Harry and Palatine Bridge. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, of course, Skahari was also the good farm farmland. They were farmers. That, that, um, that, that was the main thing, farmer. Now, they said shoemaker, but everybody was a farmer in those days because right. that's, that's how you lived. You didn't go to the... Yeah, you didn't go to the Grand Union or the Price Chopper and get your vegetables. You had to do it it yourself. Well, and this account goes on to say what great farmers they became and how much land that they acquired. Well, the story story of the land is this, is that um, 
they only had a log cabin as far as anybody knows. And during the revolution, Frederick II was a captain in the militia. And he used an ox cart and went around to all the farms in the Altamont, Schaharie area, Albany area, and got munitions, food, bandages, cloth, gunpowder, anything that he could get to take to the Battle of Saratoga. Well, the reason why the colonies won the Battle of Saratoga was because of the supply line. The British ran out of supplies. So years after, he was rewarded by the Patroon Van Rensselaer property that he was renting deeded over to him. Now, in those days, money was not essential, but property was. So you could have a very good money crop that you didn't have to share with your landlord. And that's how they became very, very... um, Rich is the wrong word to say, but very well off as, as a farmer... Um, that that was a big thing. And, of course, they had big families in those days. And, of course, they needed the, they needed all that in order to survive. Yes, and this was well before the anti-rent war. So the Crown's family was able not to have to pay that, that exactly. rent to exactly. the Van Rensselaers. And so they and, could grow um, their <clears throat> wealth and land. And the... Um, the wealth came after the revolution because they were fortunate enough to have the money or bushel baskets of peppers and stuff. That's how they bought things with trading back and forth mm-hmm. to get the lumber and so on and so forth to build the house that is there in 1799. There's a Dr. Wood that owns the property now and he has been red invading it, making it more modern. But he was telling me one time that that when they made that house, it wasn't off by much. They were very skilled builders, and they did not have any gaps or seams or anything. The only thing that they didn't have, and that was architectural plans so you would go along and you'd see a big room and then all of a sudden there was a little tiny room you don't know what it was for and there might be a window in it a window looking into another room well to us that seems silly but in those days as is today windows are very expensive so if you could afford a window between rooms on the inside, that was considered a luxury. 
They are well-built houses. I happen to live right next door to that house in another Crown's house, and it's the old post and beam construction that is just lasted hundreds of years, and yeah. uh, it's in really the, solid. The center entrance colonial, as it was called, had this stairway around the edge of the building to go upstairs. So that meant there was a big, big area and they could bring produce, hay, whatever, and take it up and put it in the attic if the barns were full. So you had brought with you something you were about to unfold and said it hadn't been seen. And I said, wait until we're into the podcast. So I'm handing this to you now so you can open it. And I'll just tell our listeners, it's a very tightly rolled piece of paper i think and you're taking clips off the end of it and we're about to have it revealed you can probably hear the paper crackling oh my goodness it says the crowns family town of gilderland new york and the edges are a little a little torn oh my gosh it's a giant handwritten family tree Oh, my goodness. And Rose is documenting this with pictures, so we can probably run those with the podcast. Oh, isn't that amazing? Oh, and it keeps going. It keeps going. It will go across the room. Okay. Well, I, I feel like we might damage it if we did that. Oh, my goodness. He's got his arms spread as wide as they can be, and there's, I'd say, half again as much to go in the roll. So, Wow. Wow. What is it like to have that kind of lineage? So many people are searching for... Well, I think, I think that's more the most important part of my family, I think, was the fact that there were so many crownses yeah. that they married in just about every family there was in this town and out. So you had to be careful who you talked about because you were really talking about a relative somewhere. (laughs) Now, I know one thing that the town of New Scotland did not have any Crounces that lived there. However, the men, the big farm uh, people, uh, Whitbecks and uh, like that, they're part of the New Scotland history. Married Gildalyn Crouts women. So you're everywhere. So therefore, <laughs> so the their Crouts, descendants then. Th- there you were had part to be careful again. Yeah. See? See? So, and how remarkable that it was such a rooted family. You know, for generations in the same place. Yes. Yeah, I yes. Mean, yes. They were very prolific. Yeah. And of course, the old saying was that the reason why there were so many Crounces is that the land that was given by Van Van Rensselaer was 350 acres. And some of that was part of the mountain behind them. Going up the hill, because that Crown's house you talked about was right at the foot of the escarpment, right right up against it. Yeah, And uh, they always said that, you know, the sun went down at 5 o'clock, and that's why there were so many children. 
Oh, that's very funny because we do miss the sun. It goes down so much oh. earlier than in Altamont. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, isn't exactly. that? Yeah. Well, that's a very good saying. Now, the other part of that is that the land that was deeded to him was very, very fertile. And they had very, very extra heavy crops. And it wasn't until the Depression that things went bad. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the um, property stayed in the family name until 1945. And then it was sold. At that time, there was no central heat, no central plumbing, and no electricity. And you showed me a story about Dr. Gilbert, who had purchased that house. Dr. Gilbert purchased that property, yes. And restored it, you said. Yes, yes, she took it. What happened was is that my great-grandfather was the last one to own it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And... His first wife died, and, of course, they always remarried Mm -hmm. because they always had to have a woman in the house. And um, he had three children, four children, and the four children rejected the second wife. So that was a family debacle there, Mm. and that's what led to the rise of the property being sold did your grandfather have recollections of that house did he share them with you no but my father did oh your father did oh okay and the um the second wife she would bring the goats in the in the house in the winter time and all that kind of stuff of course you know the old-fashioned uh wide board floors and all that now the kitchen was outside. They never pr- usually put a kitchen in in the house because that's what usually burned. But they did have fireplaces. And of course, that was their only means of heat. Um, my father was offered to buy that property, which was you know the three hundred and fifty acres plus the house and barns and so on for five thousand dollars. But he didn't feel as if he could afford to renovate Mm. that and, you know, and live there. He didn't want to live without all those necessities that we just are accustomed to today. Yeah. So tell me just a little about your own life growing up. Where, Where did you grow up in Gilderland? Okay, I grew up. I was born in Meadowdale, which is a whistle stop on the D&H at that time. And then I spent the rest of my days at Western Avenue, at 2071 Western Avenue. Right where you are now. Yes. The house that we wrote about. And it yes. sounds like such a wonderful house built by yes. a carpenter with all chestnut yep. woodwork. Yes, it's, a, it's called a Dutch colonial, and it was a very expensive type of house to build, mm-hmm. particularly in the late 20s and early 30s with the Depression going on. Mm-hmm. But the 
home builder and owner, Harry Schramm, had a very lucrative job with the uh, railroad. So money was available. So what did your own father do for a living? He wasn't a farmer. Well, my grandfather didn't like being a father or being a farmer. And that is so much the case in, in today's world. A family will be in a business no matter what it is. When the family, the sons or daughters come along, they may not necessarily like to do that kind of work. So my father was able to take an apprenticeship program with General Electric, which is what all the companies did in those days. They didn't send you to college. They took you aside, gave you an apprenticeship to learn a certain trade. And my father took up printing, and he worked for General Electric for 42 years. Oh, he was a printer. That's kind of near and dear to my heart. We yes. at the Enterprise, of course, was part of a print shop for uh, over a hundred years, and it, uh, I worked across the street with Jim Gardner, who's a printer. Um, well, my dad was very, very, very friendly with uh, Howard Oxbury. Uh huh. Um, just because of that. Yeah. Well, all newspapers used to also be print shops because yeah. that's how yeah. they came to be. Well, what my father did was this: is that he was what they call a plate maker, electrotyper. Mm -hmm. And the engraving department would make an ad for, let's say, a General Electric refrigerator. Mm -hmm. And they would make that plate. My father's job was to duplicate it. You could only make one engraving. So my father's job was to electrotype that plate. Let's say, for example, the Saturday Evening Post magazine mm -hmm. was going to print an ad for a General Electric refrigerator. What they would determine of how many issues were going to be printed, that would mean how many plates that my father would have to make so they were legible because they did wear out. So that was cutting-edge technology at its time. At that time, Yeah, right, oh, isn't right. that something? And what did you end up doing for a living? Well, the, the strange part about that was I became a funeral director. Oh, okay. How and did that happen? How did you get... I, I still don't know. Oh. But um, I was very friendly with Port Bidelman and... Uh, um, the two boys that worked with him, and I worked for a firm in Albany for many years, and I helped. I never had a funeral home per se, mm -hmm. but I did the uh, grunt work or the technical work, as you would call it, mm -hmm. and uh, I had a very interesting life. I bet, because you Cause see I people... worked for several, several different uh, funeral homes in those days it was all um single proprietor uh businesses which we don't have much of anything anymore in any field you're I right mean, yeah. i mean if you want to buy a cup of coffee today you can't go down to Z's or 
marries, you got to go to Dunkin' Donuts because there's more then than there is the others. I, it's all the big corporate world today. Well, we still have the Altamont Enterprise. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> but you brought some other things in your bag. Is this, you mentioned a Bible. Is this the family Bible? Yes, I have a Bible that was given to me many, many years ago. Because at the time, I was the last crowns. Since then, I had a son, and he had a son. So there's so the line will go the on. Son, the line will go and on. Is, is your son and your grandson, are they both interested in family history, too? Not much. Not, not like I am. But yet, you see, the difference is when I was a kid, there was such a big population of aunts and uncles of my father's mm-hmm. that I got to know a lot of them because they all lived to be in their 80s and 90s. So you learned family history just from talking to family. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard their um, Oakley crowns. He is on Brandle Road. And he has, I think, one of the oldest barns in the town of Gildeland. Yeah, there are two old Dutch the, barns on Brandle Road. I walk my dog there. Yeah, um, okay. He bought the farm of the Van Arnhem. Oh, I know where the Van Arnhem, there's a historical right. marker for and where he, his grave is. He, the farming that, that he did was all vegetables. Grapes, peaches, apples, plums, pears. That's all he did. Mm-hmm. And, of course, people would come from all over to get the fruit because although everybody had a garden, not everybody had fruit trees. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in those days, everybody canned and made jam and everything else. So it was quite, it was quite nice. He, um, he lived to be an elderly man, but he was actually... My great uncle, but I always called him Uncle Oakley, okay? But um, he made his money during the Depression by funding most of the businesses in Altamont. Oh, my goodness. And what would happen was is nobody could get a loan at the bank, so they would go to Oakley, and they'd say, I want so much money, and he'd make the deal, and it was um, interest. And, of course, he did this, which is absolutely fantastic in today's world. But when they came to make a payment on the loan that they had, he just wanted the interest. So you know what that meant. The principal never went down. Wow, isn't that something? And that's how he made money. Now, remember, they were doing this back in those days. They're still trying to do it today. It's nothing new. (laughs) 
Well, that's true. I guess there's nothing new in the world. It just (laughs) comes out in different forms. Is this, uh, did Oakley Crounce's place have grapevines? I'm trying to think. Everything. Yeah, I think I know where that house is. There are a few. Yes, it's the only one on that side. Side of the road. Well, there's another big new one that went up, but there's only an old one there. there. I remember going there, and he was tighter and bark to a tree oh frugal frugal as you yeah. could be yeah. and um they did have electricity but they never had r- running water and so on and so forth and i can remember they were going they had the old-fashioned kitchen kitchen stove mm-hmm. and you'd be in there and that one room would be 89 degrees when it was 20 below zero you walk into another room and you'd freeze. So it was a wood-burning kitchen stove, oh, yeah. and it heated yeah. the whole house. Yeah. Oh, isn't that something? It was really the, and actually, if you see the Amish today, it's the way most of those Crown's families lived. Now, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, never had a car. And Uncle Oakley, as I talk about, he never had a car. He never drove. So did they use horse and carriage? Or? His sons had cars. Uh-huh. My father had a car. But the older people just just shied away from it. Yeah. Too expensive. They were very ultra-conservative and frugal. Frugal as they could be. And that's the way the world was in those days. So, did the descendants of these crowns? Do you have family reunions, or do you keep in touch? Are there? They're all. They're all gone. They're all gone. They're they're, they're all gone. And how that happened was is that my great grandfather, my grandfather, and my father were just. They didn't have any brothers. Single sons. Single sons. And now you've and, had a single son. And I son don't have a brother. Who has a single son. <laughs> and my grandson doesn't have a brother. Oh, isn't that You something? see, there were so many families that had eight or nine children or so on. Well, you needed to live under the escarpment where the sun went down oh, at five. Yeah. That, 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 <laughs> yes. But could we take a peek at your family Bible? Certainly. Okay. So um, Mr. Crowns right now is going to take it out of a bag it's inside of, and oh my goodness, I'm clearing a space on the table because it's huge, and it's really, now really this, old. this Bible I've kind of researched a little bit, and this is exactly the same Bible in looks as the one that's on display at the General Herkimer home. So that's what they call a Palatine Bible. I just need to describe. It's got very ornate leather work on the top. I'm just going to feel. Oh, yeah. It's like um, got depth to it. It's like inlaid. And then the corners have metal, I would assume, because that's where you'd turn and it would Well, they had no TV, so they had to read the Bible. (laughs) And it is thick. It is, what, four, five, six inches? Oh, and inside is the most beautiful calligraphy, would you call it? The most beautiful writing of, 
and I have to walk away from the microphone to see it. I think it's German. Is it German? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, there's several pages here where there's someone has written in the front pages of the mother and father and the number of children and their dates of birth. What is the oldest date? What is the first date? The first date is John Frederick, born in 1768. Now, the Bible itself came from Germany, and that was from Frederick I. So, George Frederick, I assume, used this Bible too. As time went on, each family had their own Bible. But in this situation, there is a um, a leaflet in here written, and it is, the above was translated from the German by Reverend G.W. Lake of Ghent, New York, while on a visit at the Henry P. Crounces, September the 8th, 1892. So, it was several years before it was even... So, 1892, more than a century ago, well over, this was translated, and the translation reads, Alone to God's Glory, and then it and it, this too is in beautiful handwriting, although not the kind of script I've never seen before on that other one. It's just like a work of art. And um, it says, George Frederick Krauts has with his wife begotten the following children. And then it names John Frederick, 1768. Well before the American Revolution, and there you're holding it in your hand. I kind of have goosebumps. And then we have Frederick, born in 1769. Conrad, is that? I don't know that name. Conrad, 1772, and Jacob, 1783. And then the list goes on for the, for the later generations. That is just and There's stunning. The, the title page. And it and says can, 1736. And you can see that it's, somebody's repaired it. Oh, look at that. The page itself, the back of it has been repaired because it must have been turned. And you can see it's a well-read Bible because the edges of the pages are the kinds that people have turned. Oh, my goodness. There's something. Well, that's from me. Oh, okay. okay. It's a modern newspaper. I just want <laughs> okay. to find in. some stuff in here. But there's... Um, I don't know German, but the um, the lettering is stunning because it has uh, block cap letters to start I, each I new put a lot of, section. I've put a lot of stuff in here for my kids that when they go through it, they'll find they'll find different they'll find things. Their own treasures. There's an envelope. There are news clips. 
their various treasures that <laughs> Wayne Crowns has inserted. There was a lavender, it looks like maybe an invitation, more envelopes. But um, this print is just so stunning. I wish I could describe those. The capital letters that start each new section of the Bible are very ornate with... Um, well, it's the old English. Yeah, with a drawing around the letters. And I guess that's how they did them, because they were all that way. And it's what is amazing to me is is that they were doing this in the 1700s. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Gutenberg Bible sort of changed and, how you we... know, one, one page at a time. <laughs> right. Ooh, ooh. There's your list. There's, um, oh, I'm trying to find a... There. Now, there's a lock of hair. And I don't know who it's from. You know, with today's DNA testing, you could find out. You could send a strand of the hair and get the DNA tested. I have no idea who it is. It's a brown lock of hair, and it's wrapped in a golden, you know, old style. No, it could could very well be a child that, that died. Yeah. Because, you know, they had many children that... Then died in those died days. Died young. And there's uh, a strap, too, that looks like it at one time hooked. I wouldn't push the lever, but it looked like it would hook, hook I the took Bible. This, I took this over to um, a lady over in Schenectady who um, renews these. And she would rebuild the back binding. Mm-hmm. Around six, seven hundred dollars. I think you're better just leaving it. Because, and so I thought to myself. Yeah, but the value of it is, it's like when you refinish an antique piece of furniture, you can you see, actually decrease now, the in value. The, in the Palatine Church up at Palatine Bridge mm-hmm. is an amazing church if you've never been there. Mm-hmm. Um, the congregation is sitting like this on the main floor, and the minister is halfway up the wall. Oh, my goodness. And I think that was to make sure that nobody fell asleep. <laughs> he could look down on everyone. Yeah, yes. oh, isn't that funny? But up there, they have like a wall of a bookcase of Bibles like this. Oh, my. Of course, families didn't know what to do with them, so they just... But, but it is a treasure. Yes, and I assume you're going to pass it on in your own family. Oh, yes. yeah. Now, is your family religious? Is the Bible, is it more than a history treasure? Is it also like a sacred treasure? Or Well, I think it's more of a history treasure. Yeah. Um, m- my family um, never went to the Lutheran Church. For some reason or another, they knew somebody else or that. I was baptized in the Helderberg Reformed Church, mm. the old one. Mm-hmm. And then we moved from Meadowdale to Western Avenue, and the closest church was the Hamilton Union. So we went to that one. Um, it's just Protestants or, you know, there isn't that much difference, only the way they do their... Um, business. Each one has a certain Lutheran is a little bit different than Methodist. Methodist is a little bit different than Presbyterian and Congregational and all that kind of. It's 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 interesting. 
but they are all called Protestants. Mm-hmm. Protest. They protest. were originally protesters, and, and, yes. Um, that's why these people came here, because of the uh, religious protest. Now, when the Crowns first came here, there weren't any churches, so they would do it like the Amish. They would have church at at the home. Mm -hmm. So uh, things have changed quite a bit. And often the Bible would be the only book in the house. Yes. So it was a a very important thing. Well, I cannot thank you enough for sharing this. Our time has gone so fast. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts or things we didn't hit upon that are really important for you to let people know about the Crounces or your history or... Well, I, I think we covered it all. They were very hardworking farmers like everybody else, and uh, they were very prolific. They had big families, but most of the families in that time frame did. So, um, but the house itself um, is patterned many, many the Frederick House in Gilman Center was patterned after that. The house that you live in was patterned after that. It was what they called the Center Entrance Colonial. Colonial. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a very functional house at that time. And um, as time went on, of course, and things changed. But it's amazing what they did and what they had to use to do it with. Now, um, I mentioned to Elizabeth about, I had... Um, this some, is Elizabeth Floyd Mayer, our Gilderland reporter, who had written yes. about Wayne Crounce's Western Avenue home. Go ahead, I'm sorry. But, um, after Dr. Gilbert had renovated the homestead, I call it the homestead, mm-hmm. there on Albany Voorheesville Road, I mean, Aldemar Voorheesville Road, um there was a firebug in Gildeland and he was after Barnes and of course the Crown's Barnes burnt but they were very big uh, because of the very production of the land mm-hmm. it was very good mm-hmm. so um, that was a shame but many places many many farms lost their barns and they were big however they were not as big as the hilton barn in scotland that that one is huge but you got to remember that there was a big difference in time so they learned how to build bigger barns Mm -hmm. with supports and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth it was but it's quite interesting to go back and see how they did it now i know the homestead itself, the original windows were those little tiny frames mm-hmm. up and down. Many panes. Yeah. Well, as time went on, you could get windows that were... It had glass that was blown bigger. Yeah. Bigger. So mm-hmm. what they did is they bought new windows, but they saved the old ones and they put them in the chicken house. So they didn't throw anything away. They were very frugal. 
Yeah, well, the chicken house windows are probably a lot more charming than <laughs> some of the newer ones. All those little panes are wonderful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you again for sharing this history. So rich and so well told. Thank you. You're very welcome.